Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 20% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP9. This week on TWIP, a look at Facebook's revised privacy policy, Google Plus releases new photo editing tools, are Nikon and Canon entering the medium format market, plus an interview with Photo Shelter CEO, Andrew Fingerman. It's Wednesday, September 18th, 2013, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show, TWIP number 326, to discuss some of the cool photography-related topics of the week are Mr. Doug Kay, Ms. Darlene Hildebrandt, and a special guest from that big G company, Google, Brian Matias. Hey, Brian, what's going on, man? Hey, Frederick. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Hey, welcome. Let's start off with you. Since uh, you you were on the show a while back, I think I may have interviewed you, but you are on for a very particular reason today, and it just worked out in your calendar that you could you could slot into the hour that we're doing this. So thank you for doing that, first of all. No, thank you, and, I, and you know I'll publicly apologize because we we had those kind of near misses where I was like, I'm going to be on this week, and. Oh, sorry, Frederick. I can't make it. No, no, it's totally cool. I sent, I sent you, I sent Brian a graphic yesterday. What was that graphic I sent you? Brian? It was of of with the Charlie Brown where uh, he's going to kick the football and uh, who is it, Lucy? Lucy, yeah. He pulls it out and he just falls on his back. <laughs> but he falls for it every time. It's awesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But this time he kicks the ball. Yes, you are. You are in the process of kicking the ball right now. So just before we get into the other folks, what have what's been going on? I think since the last time we spoke, you guys, you and Nicole, uh, moved to the Bay Area proper. So you guys are here now. What else? What else is going on in your world? Um, just I mean, primarily uh, Google-related stuff uh, for me personally. Uh, when it, when we, we do have some free time, we do try to kind of explore the California area. Yeah. Um, Hit my first time in Big Sur a few weeks ago, which is really cool. Um, but all in all, it's it's um, you know we have a lot of stuff that we're doing uh, here on the Photos team with Google Plus, and so uh, never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. I love it. Yeah, I'm following you on Google Plus, obviously, of course. And uh, just this last weekend, you were out on an adventure taking photos of sunsets and all kinds of crazy stuff, so, yeah. Yeah, that was a nice kind of, it was a sunset and an abandoned, I think it was like a hospital. Very cool. Awesome. Well, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Also on the show, Miss Darlene Hildebrandt, a Darlene of Her View. What's going on? Hey, Frederick. How are you doing? I'm doing great. What's uh, What have you been up to? It's been a while. Yeah, it has. I've been doing a lot of teaching. Um, I launched my first virtual class uh, last week, so I'm in the middle of a four-week virtual class, and I've got um, 15 students joining me on that. I'm doing a workshop in southern Alberta this weekend, and then uh, i got eight people so far joining me in Cuba in January. In Cuba? Oh, that's right. You're doing the Cuba trip. That's cool. Yeah, so that's confirmed, and we're a go, and I have a few spots left, but uh, yeah, definitely we're, we're going. 
All right, you're going to set up a special discount coupon for twi Twippers that want to go? Unfortunately, this one I can't because it's through a travel agent. They set it all up, but I've actually uh, got something else in the works that I will be able to tell you about next show. Okay. little teaser is uh, it's going to be Central America, so that one I may have something for you. Excellent. Okay, all right. Well, let me know when you're ready, and we'll start talking about it. All right, also on the show, Mr. Doug K., the man, the myth behind... All about the gear and other things. What's going on, Doug? Hey, Frederick, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Hey, we were supposed to, just so for the record, for the people listening, we were supposed to record an episode of All About the Gear yesterday, but it's all my fault. We didn't record it. So we're going to hopefully do it this weekend. What are we going to be talking about on that show, Doug? We are going to be talking about this little baby here. This is the Sony RX1R. Mm. which is an oh. awesome camera, and maybe more important than the fact that it's an awesome camera is I think it is the uh, the the hint of what's about to come out from Sony in the next month or so, which is a small full-frame camera. And uh, if it's anything like this, it's going to be terrific. You mean so like a, a lens system camera? Yeah, yeah, it's going to yeah. be an NEX full-frame camera. Are you ready? Are you ready? Oh, my, I'm ready. My credit card is ready. Yeah. And, nice. and all those all those E-mount lenses you have to replace because they won't handle full-frame. But other than that, it'll be great. And wow. uh, Yeah, and, and I'm just we're going to record that on the weekend. I'm just about to start tomorrow playing with a Gigapan Epic Pro shooting Giga, Gigapixel panoramas. That'll be the show after that. Wow. All right, we'll check this out. Um, our friend Julio Schiorio Oh, of, you've got it! Uh, of smallcamerabigpicture.com sent me this thing to play with. In fact, this is his strap over here, courtesy oh, Panasonic. And look at this thing. Do you know what this is, Doug? What is this? That, that's the uh, GX7. This is the Lumix GX7. Yeah, yeah. and it, I just got it, uh, what was it, yesterday or so? Um, so I haven't even taken 10 shots with it, but so far I'm, I'm impressed with it. So we have to do an all about the gear about this thing. Well, no, I'm going to buy you lunch so I can get a hold of it. All right. <laughs> you heard it. It's, it's now public record. Doug is buying right. me lunch. I would like sushi because that's what Darlene was eating before we started recording. Didn't even finish. I left my sushi in, in favor of Twip. Nice. There you go. Uh, you know, Twip is better. You know, keeps, keeps <laughs> it's spicier. It's much spicier. It's much spicier. All right, guys. Well, let's jump in. Uh, before we actually jump into the news, I want to give a nod to this week's sponsor, and that is Squarespace.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 20% off, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP9. And using Squarespace is easy. Everything is drag and drop. You can add content from your desktop and even drag to rearrange elements of content within the page. They've got an amazing 24-7 support team in New York City, and they do live chat during the week and have an extremely fast email support team throughout the day and night. And socializing is easy with Squarespace. You can easily connect Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Google, and many more services. Plus, every Squarespace website has its own unique mobile design, so your website is automatically scaled to look great 
on every device. Also, they've recently added e-commerce to their platform. So if you want to set up shop and sell things, you can do so in just a few minutes. You can start your trial today with no credit card and start building your website tonight. Then when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, just use the offer code TWIP9 and get 20% off. At squarespace.com, everything you need to create an exceptional website. And we'd like to thank Squarespace for their support of TWIP. All right, guys, uh, let's continue with the show. Story number one is about our friends over at Facebook re-examining their proposed privacy changes. So I actually uh, posted a link to this to, an, uh, to the proposed changes in my Google Plus profile page and highlighted what Facebook is intending on doing and what the little changes that they made to their terms of service in terms of uh, privacy with regard to photographers um, on their site and what it could potentially mean. And from my eyes and from ASMP eyes, who's the post that I actually reposted, <laughs> it doesn't look like it's a good thing for photographers. In fact, it looks like it's kind of scary when you post images on Facebook. It, you know, it's going back to that whole thing that they were talking about a while back with Instagram. That hey, images on Facebook, we could sell them. Essentially, you know, that that's basically the bottom line. You put an image on Facebook, they can make money from it. Darlene, I want to throw this to you first. Um, looking at stuff like this, does this, from a professional photographer, professional working photographer, educator in the space? Um, Social media is a huge part of everything you do, um, I'm sure, as it is for most of us. When you see something like this from a big company like Facebook, what it, how do you react? Do you do the knee-jerk reaction of, hey, I'm shutting my account down? Or do you think, well, you know, everyone's overreacting, and of course they would never sell my images. How do you take it? Probably somewhere in between those two mm -hmm. things. You know, I mean, I'm not going to dump my, my profile just yet. But I, I tend to find that um, I did a little survey on my Facebook this afternoon just to see where everybody was at, photographers, non-photographers. And people are def definitely paying attention. People know what's going on uh, in both realms, whether they're into photography or not. And I think it also has to do with, you know, a lot of privacy stuff. So I'm going to keep my eye on it. Yeah. But I don't go to the side of, okay, Okay, I'm so super paranoid that I'm not going to post anything ever, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to put a giant water crop mark across the middle and make, you know, my picture look ugly. So, I'm I'm going to err on the side of, you know, I'm going to keep an eye on it and be cautious, but I'm not super concerned about. Uh, one of my friends commented and said, "Well, I'm having enough hot, trouble selling my images, so good luck to Facebook." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, good luck. With if that. you can sell what's in my garage, welcome to. <laughs> exactly. Brian, Brian, looking at you, I mean, you're, you know, obviously, full disclosure, you're at Google, so, you know, of course you can't talk about anything that's that's going to be damaging or anything like that. But from a high level, looking at, at, at social media from the standpoint of how photographers are using it and looking at a case like this with Facebook changing their terms of service, how should we as photographers, even on Google Plus Photos, you know, how, how should we be careful or not careful about posting things? Like Darlene was saying, should we be slapping giant watermarks across the front of our images, or should we just, you know, it's going to be okay? Sure. Uh, well, I love that was that was really funny, darling. That like it is nice when someone has kind of that to me is a very refreshing sense of humor uh, and response that, that the person left on your on your uh, thread on Facebook. Um, and I, I actually think that that there's more um, 
truth, I guess, to that than 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 you know even the humor. Like, mm-hmm. here's the thing. Um, well, you one, mean in terms of most people don't have images that would be worthy of <laughs> wanting to well, be stolen? Well, no, it's just kind of like, uh, well, f- first, I, I, and I will kind of preface my, my opinions are mine, the Googles, um, so none of that's that. Um, this very topic, the, I, I first learned about this Facebook thing um, last week at Photoshop, was it last week? Whenever Photoshop World was, like a yeah. week or two ago, I was on a panel for social media, and someone from ASMP, was, that was the person who brought it up. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, the first thing that I uh, that my response was, I asked the 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 the, the audience like, um, all right, I understand you guys are concerned. Um, how many of you have actually registered your images with the U.S. Copyright Office? For those of you that are U.S. based photographers, and like a tiny fraction. You know, I was like, please be honest. Like, let's you know, I'm not trying to like make a, a, a to put too fine a point on it, but it's funny how. Um, and sure, part of my opinion is 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 influenced by the fact that I work for a company that has a, a kind of an interest-based social network. Um, but you know, you're putting your work out there um, to promote yourself primarily, right? And yeah. so, you know, Facebook, Google Plus, Twitter, Instagram, all these things are free. There's nothing to it. Now, I wouldn't go so far as to say that um, I'm a fan necessarily. Of, of a service kind of taking uh, carte blanche with my images. Um, but it, the, the kind of theory I fall back on is exactly what Dar- the person who left that message on Darlene's thing. is like, well, you know, I've sold photos in the past. Um, I think my general, con- my general opinion is that people don't very often buy photos just in general anymore. Yeah. You don't make much money in sales. Like, in my opinion, if you're trying to make, if you want to make a successful business in photography, you need to have wide and deep, uh, like, streams of income. So, like, anyway, so... If you look at it from the standpoint, Brian, of, uh, and Doug, I want to have you weigh on this as well. If you look at it from the standpoint of not the professional photographer, you know, like, we're we're looking at it from the standpoint of, hey, you know... It, it could be taking money out of a pro's pocket, you know, that kind of thing, or food out of our kids' mouths, that kind of thing. But if you look at it from the standpoint of consumer-level photography, where it's photos of you hanging out at a party or you decided to take a shot of a sign of the giant, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex on Route 66 as you were driving, you know, it's your shot, and then one day... You're hanging out in L.A. driving down the highway, and you see your shot on a billboard for Facebook you know, or somebody, you know, something well, like that. Not saying yeah, that that could okay, happen. So, so here's the thing. Look, um, and I'm going to be just very cynical here. Yeah, the, I like cynical. You pay. You got to pay to play. All right. You know, servers are expensive. People are expensive. Engineers to to build the stuff that you that you enjoy. You know. Um, Facebook yesterday announced something like a quarter trillion photos have been shared since its launch. Like, that's a staggering thing, and I and I applaud them. I think it's fantastic. Um, I think that Facebook has the benefit, in a weird, twisted way, of going through this already with Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, when they went through, the, they've already been down this this avenue with with terms of service issues. And you know what's funny? In the wake of the Instagram thing, you remember this was like uh, last year, I think, um, or earlier this year, um, I had a few friends who like immediately killed their Instagram accounts right off the bat. And you know what they did like a week or two later? 
they have to open up another one because <laughs> they're like, you know what? I uh, I want to. Yeah, I'm missing this. The the fear of missing out, like FOMO. Yeah. So, or yeah. they're like, you know what? I didn't. Instagram didn't come knocking on my door to get me to reopen my account. <laughs> Even better. Even, <laughs> they didn't miss me. Why? <laughs> What's going on? Even better. Yeah, Doug. What about you? You weigh in on this. What do you, What do you think about the whole terms of service thing, um, or, or usage, terms of usage over on Facebook of your images? Well, first of all, Darlene stole my punchline, but that's okay. She's welcome to it. Um, you know, it, I have to go back many, many years, uh, but uh, it's like you know, Facebook's like Listerine. I hate it, but I use it twice a day. Um, <laughs> that well, you need to, you to remember put that, that online somewhere. All right, Maybe we need a title for Wait, the show. Wait, I gotta tweet that. So. You know, we have to look at what's really going on here. Facebook is not going to go out and sell license or license a couple of hundred images. The business is all about scale. Right. What are they? What are they going to do? They, they could they potentially go into the uh, stock photography business? That's something that's been discussed by Thomas Hawk and others for Google Plus, for example, uh, who has the potential for going into that. That's a possibility. Uh, but more likely, all they're doing is saying, we want to be able to use your images for uh, um, uh, uh, artificial intelligence purposes, for basically analyzing, tagging people, recognizing faces, things that work on a very large scale. Mm -hmm. uh, Facebook has no interest in using our images in the ways that you and I would likely um, uh, make money from our images. They're going to use them in other ways that are much more scalable. So, um, you know, it's like the Instagram story. Yeah, you come back after two weeks and you sign up and you create a new account and you wish you hadn't got rid of all the old pictures. But right. um, so, you know, I do hate Facebook. I do use it twice a day. And I'm not really worried about the photo stuff at all because it doesn't make business sense for them to make money off my images as individual images. They just want to do it. Now, Doug, you say you hate Facebook. Why, why do you hate Facebook as a photographer? And are you saying that just because Brian is on the show? No, well, I'm actually I'm, I'm really eager to hear this as well. And not, I use Facebook too. I have it on a, open on a tab right here. You know. I, I I don't hate Facebook as a photographer. I hate Facebook as a user, and that is that I don't understand it. It keeps mm -hmm. changing. Uh, I don't, you know, their algorithms aren't transparent to me, uh, not just because my friend Brian is here, but I much prefer Google+, Plus, where I have a sense that I understand how it works, how to use it, and uh, what's going to happen when I push a button. Facebook's just throwing all sorts of crap at me that just drives me crazy. And but you know my family's there, my friends are there, so you know I've got you know over a hundred thousand followers on Facebook, so I got to hang out there. Wow, wow, interesting. Darlene, do you hate Facebook? You know, I've I've moved away from it. I don't say I would hate it, but I've moved away from it like a lot in terms of I don't spend nearly as much time on there as I used to. You know, like Doug said, I might look at it a couple of times a day, and it's mostly now the friends and family stuff, you know, so I get invited to somebody's birthday party, I got to go check the event and get the address, whatever, you know, um, and if you're not on Facebook, you don't get invited to the parties, right, right so you, right. you want to be a part of things, but uh, I do have a Facebook page for my business, and I do get people coming from there to my website and getting followers, so it's a tool that I do use to grow my business as well, so I'm not going to leave anytime soon. I think the bigger picture on this thing is also not just for photographers, but the privacy piece, which is, you know, does this, I mean, and that's why those agencies had, 
you know, set off these red flags as in this is not okay for you to just take stuff without telling people. And they change the terms of service kind of under the radar and, and don't tell us what's going on or it's automatically set to this unless you go change it. I think that is kind of the bigger issue going on here that has people up in a, up in a big roar. Yeah, it's scary. And I, I think, Brian, I think you nailed it right on the head in your talk at Photoshop World when you brought up the fact that most photographers don't take the time to register their images with the U.S. Copyright Office. However, we raise red flags when you know we, we hear from entities that they're going to use our images. But the other piece of that that <coughs> comes up, as I was just talking through that, is if does the does the the terms of service or do facebook terms of service trump the fact that i've registered my images with the us copyright office in other words i've gone through the due diligence and all my images are in there and i take one of those images and i put it on facebook the fact that i made that effort and agreed to the terms of service ostensibly to put my images up there put that image up there does that nullify my copyright well, at that point i don't no, no. I, I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Right. Yeah. But I think Doug was talking about who was Doug. It was either Doug or you, Frederick, in terms of like, um, you know. Oh yeah, in terms of like licensing and, and like, yeah, Frederick was saying about like putting it on a billboard. Like, yeah. That hasn't happened yet, as far as I know. That hasn't happened. Because yeah. um, that that requires you know some significant licensing and agreements to be done. Um, I do think that. For, for people generally who are so concerned about this, the fact that they don't do something, which, you know, once you do the copyright process a few times, it becomes actually pretty, really, really straightforward. Um, you know, things like punitive damages, like, no one seems to consider, but, yeah. you know, Doug was correct. Like, if I, if I remember correctly when I read it, this is more just to kind of, like, and I can appreciate this, like, wanting to make the experience for the user as kind of intimate or as relatable as possible. Like, so that it's not just like <clears throat> you uh, being exposed to just like totally random stuff, random information, random people, that um, utilizing computer vision, which is what we have, and all kinds of other technologies to kind of help um, improve and ingratiate the experience to the user. Yeah. Um, that's a critical thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not nearly... I have all my photos up there. I upload my photos to Google Plus in full JPEG. It's full JPEG. Actually, everything goes up in, in, uh, in Drive as raw. But um, I share full-res JPEGs. I do register the photos that are, are really important to me um, before I share them. When, and once I get the confirmation that the, that the registration process is complete, I go share it. But then that's not that big of a percentage, Frederick, that I yeah. register. So it's like, for me, the benefit of sharing uh, images on a regular basis and maintaining my, um, you know, appeasing the constituents um, and showing people, you know, what's going on and being active in the community, that to me has a much greater value than in the off chance that Facebook or Google um, uses an image um, on a little tiny ad that yeah. a friend said, it's like, oh, Brian likes this. I think the, the bottom line for all this, for photographers, is it, the onus is on you to do your homework, right? Read yeah. the time of services and then become informed, understand how copyright works, register the images, like Brian was saying, register the <laughs> images that you care about with the, with the U.S. Copyright Office, and we've done full shows on that, you know? And in the end, the call, of course, is yours about 
what level of paranoia you want to adopt. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, you know here, uh, one last point on this. And sure. It's really important. It's like, so to that point, you want to control? You own? Oh, go go register your domain. Go pay a host and go do um, uh, uh, your, create your own website. Whatever it is, uh, there you've got ever, full control. When I had my website, um, even now, <clears throat> the engagement that I would have on that is a pittance compared to what I have today. It is a cost of doing business in a way that I look at it. It's like I put my images out there because I want the interaction. The interaction in a way and the image quality helps build a brand for myself. That's amazing. So, so uh, Doug and Darlene are, are putting in the chat here. They're doing research while we're talking. <laughs> And Darlene, you're saying in Canada, you're saying it's $35 per image to re to register one image. I haven't looked at it recently, but the last time I looked, at it was it was somewhere around $25 to $35 per image. Yeah, you pay per image, so okay. nobody does it. No, nobody <clears throat> does it here. It's ridiculous, you know. Yeah, yeah here it's, it's, it's yeah. You kind of zip up your files and you send them up. Yeah, yeah, that's what Doug and, was saying. Doug said the is, beta program in the U.S. It's thirty-five dollars um, to do that, basically, yeah. right? Zip up unlimited images and and throw them up there. But the question is, okay, so Facebook was created in the U.S., so is it U.S. based and therefore under U.S. law? And so then, as a Canadian, if I register my images with the U.S. copyright, now that raises another point. Like, am I then covered under? Facebook because that's under U.S. copyright law. I mean, there's a whole gray area. We need to do another show on this. That's stuff. a whole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's let's move on from this. Um, clearly, it's a it's a topic that merits a whole lot of discussion. I don't want to use the whole hour on this though. Um, but the speaking of social networks, Google Plus is the next story. Google Plus Photos rolled out some in. in Again, thank you, Brian, for coming on to uh, educate us on this. But rolled out some insanely cool features in there for photographers. And from my naive, lame in the eyes, it looks like this is more fruit from the uh, the Snapseed acquisition rolling into the cloud for us. So, Brian, tell us what's what's the deal here? What do we get? Um, you're right. Um, the so these these uh, Google Plus photo editing tools um, have been. Uh, very much kind of uh, in the spirit of Snapseed, which was a product that um, Google acquired or you know owned as part of the Nick software acquisition. Yep. So <clears throat> the goal primarily was to uh, roll out this you know really kind of thorough, full-featured um, editing tool for for photographers or users who uh, have their photos. Uh, on Google Plus, or they have them on Drive and syncing over to Google Plus. Um, wherever you are, you know, uh, let's not gloss over the fact that you know Snapseed was uh, awarded App of the Year by Apple. Um, yeah. It was it 2011, I think, or 2012? I, I don't remember. But that's not a that's not a fluke. You know, the app has gotten a lot of um, recognition, and so. Um, I've been using this the the editing tools for a while now, and have seen it come through you know iteration after iteration, and it's gotten to the point where, for usually the web editor itself, for me is reserved for um, say I use my NEX7 or especially mobile photos, but uh, my NEX7 
both my Pixel and my uh, MacBook Pro have a SD card slot, so I usually just bypass Lightroom in those situations. I upload them straight into Google+. Plus. Yeah. And I'll just go through, um, uh, after we do auto curation, where we kind of like show the highlights or you know what we feel are the strongest photos, I'll go through that stuff and then just start editing. And it's, in the beginning, it was funny, Frederick. In the beginning, I'd edit, and it would give me kind of an idea I, you know, like a, a direction of where I want to go, and I go back to my computer, uh, launch Lightroom, and do my edits. Um, but then, as it started getting refined, um, and the engineers were just tremendously brilliant with this, um, it's like, man, I, I'm actually getting some really good results here. Um, bias aside, like, okay, one really important thing to say: yes, I work for Google, but my my images are my images. Like when I post a photo, I'm not posting something that I'm not like proud of or so if the web editor didn't give me the results that I wanted I promise you <laughs> you know I maybe I would have skipped this episode well you know what you Brian I'm I'm looking at this so let me rattle off some of the 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 bullet list and, and correct me if I miss anything so um, fine-tune auto enhance adjustments um, it's got mm -hmm. selective adjust to let you make edits to a specific part of an image and again this is all within Chrome this you're in a tab in Chrome uh, not Safari so Chrome um, and then you've got filters in there like vintage drama retro lux black and white um, you know the, the filters that we've become accustomed to that those sorts of things all using that that sort of drag on the X and Y axis Snapseed kind of UI, right? So, so my what my question becomes is, my my workflow right now is Lightroom, of course, right? So I go in, I dump my photos in there, I, I star the ones I want to play with, and then I filter and show only the starred ones, and then I get to work and edit those photos, export it, then upload what I want to upload online, and go from there. What I want to know is that it is that workflow now slowly becoming obsolete as we move the horsepower of processing into the cloud? In other words, am I going to one day, I know you can't talk to future future releases, but is the ultimate goal maybe one day to have a develop module in the sky where I don't have to worry about the, uh, you know, going, I can do everything in Chrome essentially and upload it, put it in my drive and then snatch photos out of my drive, out of my Google Drive, edit them, and share them to my timeline in Google Plus. Is that kind of the direction you think we're going in? Um, <clears throat> I think it's important to look at um, when you say, you know, my photos. Like, who is who are we looking at? So, someone like uh, you know, the all four of us here. Um, I think we will always have needs for um, more robust that more robust uh, desktop. Products like Lightroom, like yeah. Photoshop. The horsepower there. Yeah. The horsepower and and you know, for now, you know, based on what's available. However, for the large majority of people, and trust me, I mean, this is something that is of great importance to me and like of, of interest to me, especially as of late. Um, the large majority of of people who capture and consume photography, um, the stuff that is starting to roll out and become available, I think, is going to satisfy um, just about every need. Um, you know, so, so yeah. 
yeah, that's crazy. I, I mean, you, it's I can see the 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 dotted lines of where things are going. And now, Darlene yeah. and Doug, I want to have you guys weigh in on this too, because Doug, for example, we we've been talking about those cameras on All About the Gear, and even this one has built-in Wi-Fi, right? So that path, the path from shooting my image and getting it online is now really resistance-free. You know, it's not like, okay, I shoot, and I got, I mean, it used to be I got to shoot, and I got to develop it, and all this, and I, then it was I got to shoot, and then I got to take the card out and put it in. Now I can just shoot, and if I'm on a Wi-Fi that the camera recognizes, I can throw this stuff wherever I want it to go, or put it in my phone and put it wherever. What do you think about all these, these cloud-based, Doug, this is for you specifically, these cloud-based processing solutions? We've seen things in the past, right? We've seen, you know, some of these Photoshop in the sky type things, but now we're seeing Google sort of bolt this onto an already popular social network and sort of get that sort of movement there. How do you feel about this whole movement of the, the server and the processing in the cloud? Well, let's clarify one thing, that this new announcement from Google is not processing in the cloud. It's processing in the browser. Mm. Uh, and I think Good what point. we're seeing is that the trend, the trend is that you want to basically have the capture device also be the publishing device. Mm -hmm. um, now, this isn't for me personally. It's probably not for Di uh, Darlene personally because what? Darlene, well, I always call you Diane. Uh, <laughs> Darlene. But, but, but it will be, you know, um, for, for probably a, a lot more people than are represented by just the TWIP listeners, sure. um, there are people who want to capture the picture, do some processing and upload from there and never go to an intermediate device, be it a laptop or a desktop or anything like that. So this stuff takes works in the browser, which is brilliant, and I'd love to hear more about the technology. We can do that maybe another time, but... Um, but is that true? Is, Before you continue, Doug, yeah, is that true, Brian? This is browser only, or I thought my understanding was there was some processing happening in the cloud. Is this is it is it only happening with on the CPU locally? Well, it's using the the native client technology for Chrome. Okay. Um, and so, I, but I, and I can't unfortunately go into too many details. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it's um, it's using. There is a lot that's going to be done. Um, in the cloud in terms of like when you first get the image served to you with, with auto and hands. Okay. Uh, and then and then I want Doug to finish his thought and then I'll just kind of like finish Okay, mine. yeah, I'm sorry, Doug, for interrupting. Go, That's go all right. So, I mean, I think that the most important thing, well, part of it is the transparency that, you know, we don't really care whether it's in the cloud or on the browser. The fact is that the majority of this has been done in the browser because that's where you get the immediacy of the feedback. I mean, we still have, you know, these sub-second delays when we're working with the cloud. You know, auto-enhance takes a you know, little bit of time to appear and change and so forth. Mm -hmm. In any case, you know, I mean, look at things also like the uh, Sony QX10 and Q, uh, QX100, these lens cameras we've been talking about, yeah. where you know you hook it onto your Android or iOS device, uh, you use the lens to capture, you have the iOS or Android device to control the lens. Uh, oh, should I smile? <laughs> He's no. taking my picture. Um, and uh, you know, so you'll 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 use your mobile device to then capture the picture, tweak it upload it, you'll be done. This is the way it's happening. I mean, this is, again, not for the professional photographer. You're not going to get a, a wedding photographer or anything like that who's going to be publishing stuff like this. But uh, I think Brian said there are, what, a quarter trillion photos out there? Is that right, Brian? 
on Facebook. That's what they yeah, use. Yeah, quarter of a trillion photos. So this is, you know, like 90% or more of those quarter trillion photos. So it's a huge, huge market. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Darlene, what about you? Uh, Doug, Doug, it seems like he was speaking for you when he said you wouldn't use something like this. Uh, well, but I would like you talking, to speak for yourself. I'm, I'm actually playing with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you want, Doug, you, want you sit corrected. <laughs> you want to do a I screen share here. Uh, so um, I, I actually didn't realize that it had come into effect because I, I did actually, but not realizing sort of that it auto turned itself on. So I went into my settings and, and turned it off, and um, I just was playing with it just now. I can see application for this on things like iPhone photos because it is very Snapseed like, it is very sort of app like. But I mean, these are things that I I did um, on the other night. We had a we had a fire spin in in the middle of our city hall. We got total permission and everything. It was really cool. Wow. And I was just playing with it, thinking, okay, you know, would I use this? I could see that if I was traveling and I had some things on my iPad or my phone, and I just wanted to throw them up there. Um, for me, they're very similar to things that I already do in Lightroom with presets and stuff like that. So I can't see using it on my full-size RAW files. But I have to say, I mean, there were some nice effects in there. I, I played around with some stuff I did with a model um, the other day, and, and it looks kind of nice. You know, I don't know if you guys can see the before and after. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of a retro effect. That's a good shot. You know? For the folks that are listening to this, you have to watch the video, watch the video. On, on our YouTube so it, channel. You'll see this. You know, there's some there's some focus stuff. There's a tilt shift thing. There's a retro thing, and I played with those. And I kind of like its effect. Like, not that I can't do that same stuff in Lightroom. When that's probably where I would do it if I'm going to make it, you know, for print or anything like that. But we have to get real. Is that it, most people, like Brian said, are are living on the internet. You know, and I teach mm -hmm. a lot of classes. People don't print stuff anymore. You know, like where does it go? It goes on their Facebook. It goes on their Flickr or their 500px or their Google yeah. Plus or they're wherever and they don't make any prints right so like a screen resolution is probably good enough yeah and yeah, I, I'm I, gonna I guess I'm gonna guess that they're gonna develop it to the point where you know it's probably gonna make a good print resolution to come out if you want you know they're gonna pair it up with mpix or something and you know hey I can order prints from Google Plus right from my Snapseed account or whatever and that'll that'll be the the edge case when someone actually you know, create some physical atoms from a print because, it, from me, from my standpoint, what I what I can sort of foresee in the future um, is like I was showing with this with this Lumix and with the Sony's that we've been talking about that all these cameras that have this built-in Wi-Fi, you can get so the the friction between getting the shooting the image and getting it online is now reduced, and then the the fact if you're on Google Plus and active on Google Plus and you've built up your following on Google Plus, you're making these edits there too, so you're in that ecosystem. You know, you're uploading in there. You know, you're edit, you're you're sharing with all your friends, all in one place, all within the browser. Now, for like darling, like you were saying, for pros, I mean, you're doing a commercial shoot for you know, a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. Probably going to use professional level tools, but for this gigantic crowd of people that are buying all these other cool mirrorless cameras and smaller cameras and taking pictures of their kids and all, all that's 
legions and legions of people. You know, so I can well, see it going in that direction. The, you mentioned the Wi-Fi capability of the of the four thirds cameras, like the Lumix and stuff. I mean, it's embarrassing. I have a 5D Mark III, which is a top of the line camera, and for me to upload something from site, I have to take a picture of the back of my camera with my phone and put it on Facebook. It's embarrassing. <laughs> It's you funny. Know, it's funny you say that. It it does seem like it's uh, you know I don't know enough about Nikon, but I know it's definitely Canon's mo to release these kinds of features first on the kind of like consumer grade DSLRs like the 70D, the 6D, has 60 had GPS and Wi-Fi. 70D has Wi-Fi and an articulating screen. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, uh, you know, I, I had to spend like three hundred dollars or something on on my GPS unit mm -hmm. to watch through my 5D3. And the, no Wi-Fi. I have to buy a thousand-dollar battery grip for the Wi-Fi. <laughs> I know. I'm blown away by that stuff too. It's like when I when I started experimenting several months ago with these mirrorless cameras, the tech that's packed into there compared to what's in say a D3, D4, you know, notwithstanding the image quality and the focusing speed and the sensor size and all that stuff, but all that ancillary tech that's around there is kind of like, man, how come I can't have my chocolate in my peanut butter, you know, <laughs> everything, can I have everything in one camera, especially if you're paying three grand for a camera, mm -hmm. how come I can't have all that cool stuff in there, I don't know. Well, maybe Canon and Nikon, you know, and the big manufacturers know that they, they have the pros over the barrel, they got you by the cojones, it's like, they're going to, you know, make you buy the extra stuff, because realistically, you went and bought the GPS thing, right, Brian, so... Yep. Well, if you know, we, keep, it's, it's, we speak with our dollars, right? Yeah, but Doug, Doug, chime in on this that that you know, getting people by the cojones, as Darlene says, <laughs> is kind of going away, right? Because the smaller cameras are getting better and better and more and more capable. So there's diminishing returns with trying to coax people into the corral of buying more and more expensive cameras for less and less. I mean, what what would you say to that? Well, you play with is, a ton of stuff. Yeah, this is common in every industry. Brian's exactly right. They they try out new technologies on their smaller lines. I mean, another example of this in another industry would be look at Toyota. Uh, where did they start their hybrid technology? They didn't start it with their expensive cars. They started it with the Prius. Uh, and then they moved that upscale in their product line. Um, so this is a very common thing. You go where your volume's higher um, or you do it in a specialty model, again, like this Sony RX1R where they tried some new stuff in a very expensive camera that had a very limited uh, uh, audience for it. But this is this is pretty common. So... Um, you, you know, w what Nikon and Canada are trying to do is figuring out which of those technologies should filter up. You know, it's a lot more work to put Wi-Fi in a, in a waterproof body than it is or a weatherproof body than it is in a little plastic one. So, yeah, know. Uh, it's, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, I know. You're just going to grumble it's 20, at me. It's almost 2014. Come on. You can put yeah. whatever you want in whatever, you That's know. Right. Give me that. It's hard. It's they so to, hard. I mean, look at the iPhone 5S just came out. Come on. It's hard yeah, but to you do know, this, this. You have this. to remember also that, that the lower-end cameras are are more competitive or are, are being competed Whatever the word is. Anyway, more competitive with mobile phones than than a 5D Mark III. You know, yeah. so they're in different worlds, and the, the, some of the small cameras are trying to are trying to go head to head with the uh, cell phones. Yeah. Well, uh, so, well yeah. I want to take this opportunity to say thank you, Brian, for you guys and putting this feature in there. You know, in Google cool. Plus Photos, I think it's cool. I think it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. No, we we have listened very closely. I I very very closely listen to as many um, posts and comments and feedback as possible in the, in the wake of the launch. 
um, for what people maybe are missing from what the predecessor was called the Creative Kit, which um, I didn't. I never launched one. In fact, it was like the only time I launched it was when I clicked edit by accident. Um, <laughs> So, um, with that said, um, there were there are some things that that users like definite trends of, of features that people are missing, and I can say for a fact that this is you know it's only gonna, the editor is only going to get better. So. All right, before before I leave this, and Brian, I, I know you you're not going to talk about this at all, but I got I got to put it out there. A um, couple shows a couple shows ago, we did we were talking about the Adobe Creative Cloud. Yeah. And all the all the hubbub and people were you know flinging all kinds of hatred at Adobe and then and then some people loved Adobe for it and it's like yeah this is the right this is moving the right direction subscription, but our friend Trey Radcliffe said that and he went on record I think this is on one of the shows he said that um, uh, I'm paraphrasing but I think he said Adobe should be afraid of Google because when they start releasing Snapseed online and doing these sorts of things that we're now seeing the tip of the iceberg that people are going to start flocking to Google and say goodbye to Creative Cloud. Doug, what do you think about this? And Brian, I'm going to let you chime in and you can just you can just <laughs> walk out of the room if you want to. <laughs> no, Doug, what, do you, what do you think? If anything, I think Adobe is providing the segregation of the markets by saying, you know, fine, if, you know, if what you want is to go to Google and use that, that's great, but if you're a pro and you need these tools, you got to come to us. So they're they're segregating the market even further. Yeah, there's yeah. no doubt about it. Right. And we, oh, Brian, hey, check it out. Sony Club, Sony Club. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I have a QX100 on order. Excellent. Darling, I had to get that in there. I had to get there. We don't we don't usually have Sony users on this show, so I had to get that in there. <laughs> I, I want Darlene to chime in on this on the uh, the whole Creative Cloud. Adobe uh, thing. Versus Google Plus in the cloud or in the browser, as Doug says, photo. Well, I think I think Doug hit the nail on the head with that one, and I think that um, you know the announcement that Adobe came out with wasn't at Photoshop World, Brian. That that it's now was it 9.99 or whatever it is a month for Photoshop and Lightroom. So it's kind of basically the photographer's package for Adobe, right? So they kind of did listen. You know, a bunch of people screamed and jumped up and down, and they kind of did listen. Um, I've had exceedingly bad um, experiences with Adobe customer service and then yesterday I had a good experience so maybe they're listening to that as well because mm. you know I, I think Doug's on the right track with the segmentation thing because I do know that as a student right my students who are amateurs they just want to do this and take pictures and nice snaps on their holidays you know and for the most part and nice pictures of their kids they don't want to spend 10 or 20 bucks a month on software that if you stop paying you don't even have anymore right yeah. so I think it is going to segment and there there are going to be other things that are going to step up to the plate to say hey you know I see an opportunity here and they're going to fill it Brian you, you can you add anything to this what do you think well, I mean, for what it's worth, I yesterday literally subscribed for the first time to Creative Cloud because that package was announced. Oh, you know, wow. I don't get it for free. I don't. I pay for it like everyone else. And um, I, I was like, you know, I don't use. I used Premiere less than five times in my life, um, and uh, I don't use InDesign or or I need. I don't need to do anything with Acrobat or anything else that that the Creative Cloud is, is filled with. Um, so I saw this. I was like, "This is a price point that is just fine with me," um, and I'm very thankful that ten dollars a month, you know, is is something I can handle. Um, however, the way I look at it too is like, "All right, listen, creative," because the, there's still people who, even in spite of this 
are like, I will never do ten bucks a month is ten bucks too much. Of course. And five dollars? What are you kidding me? Five dollars yeah. is too much. Yeah. This comes for this. My, my reaction is it is part being working since working here and even at on one, um, but also I'll start with the first thing. You're required to have CS3 or later. To, to, to do this, right? Which mm-hmm. means you have CS3, CS4, 5, or 6. You have it, right? Mm-hmm. Somewhere you have a license key. So, yeah, if, if you stop paying, you're not going to have Creative Cloud. You can still go ahead, download, go to their archive, download the old version of the CS that you have and, license, and enter your license, and you've got it. And Lightroom is, um, I don't know, 70 bucks. I don't know how much it is. Um, but um, But the other thing is, like, Oh, I have a few friends here at Google who used to work at, at Adobe, and they're geniuses. They're like flat-out geniuses. Oh yeah, work yeah. so hard, and everyone works. And that's not a crying thing, but like, you know, if you want free, go get GIMP. You know, if you want, if you want to to just like, you know, you're entitled to to having world-class software or you know stuff that people like. Let's not mince words. People make entire careers just on Photoshop. Like not the not talking about engineers or Adobe, photographers, designers make entire careers out of educators yeah. out of Photoshop. Yeah. So it's like, for me, I have very little tolerance to that. Um, yeah. That kind of like crying, like. It's like an uh, a, you know an artist or a carpenter complaining about the cost of his hammer. You know. Yeah, but like, you're right. And- but for me, it you know, ten dollars a month for Lightroom and Photoshop is actually saving me money over what I used to pay. So yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to complain about that too much. Well, speaking yeah. of money, speaking of money, um, I, while you guys were talking, I opened another tab here, and Google's market capitalization is three hundred billion dollars, or just over three hundred billion. Adobe is twenty six billion dollars. That's a bargain. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> why did you, you know? Look in the Brian, can you look in the look in the couch, find some change, and go pick up a baby? Just flip over this conference table over here. I'm sure. I know. You know, you guys are buying these giant Kit Kat statues. Spend that money and go buy Adobe, and we're done with it. We had so many little little mini Kit Kats that day. It was like ridiculous, a diabetic's nightmare. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, cool. All right. That was, a, that was a great topic. I love that. All right, guys. Story number three I want to t- touch on really quickly is um, on medium format. So we've done all this, all these conversations about smaller sensors, micro four-thirds and APS-C sensors, and like in the, in the NEX series, and, you know, and the, even this guy here, which is micro four-thirds. But um, it looks like, and let me read the story too. Read the story blurb that we have in the our, our show notes here. It says a spat of recent rumors and patent filing, filings seem to indicate that both Nikon and Canon may be preparing to enter the medium format business. Nikon recently applied for a patent for a 100 millimeter format lens. While not a guarantee that this product will make it to market, it could indicate. Nikon is looking to expand into the medium format market in the near future. Meanwhile, rumors have been swirling for the past couple of months that Canon has been investing heavily in a heavily in a European camera manufacturer, possibly Phase One. Rumors are also circulating that Canon may also be getting to getting ready to set or to launch its own medium format system in 2014. So, Doug, starting with you because you're you're the gearhead. Um, on the show, self-professed. What? 
does this make sense to go in the opposite direction? And even if, if th these are clearly rumors, of course, but we've got like the D800 that has an obscenely high pixel count, megapixel count on it that most folks arguably don't need right now. I know who medium format cameras are targeted at, you know, commercial photography mostly, but what do you think about this rumor? Does this make sense for those guys to be jumping into this space? Well, let's remember that all of these companies, Canon, Nikon, Olympus, are imaging companies. Yeah. Cameras are only a part of what they do. Um, it might be a relatively small part. For look, look at Olympus got into big financial trouble. Well, the success of that company is actually in their um, their medical imaging business. Sure. So this huge sensor may have nothing to do with a camera whatsoever. We don't know that. Um, so uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. This could be some you know. Yeah, yeah I, I think lens or something. Who knows? You know, and again, they're and they're all they're always trying new technologies. You know, they've got it. They've got to keep going. And um, if they're going to put anything out, they're going to file a patent. Usually, patents are filed pretty much at the end of their R and D cycle because once you publish a patent, you've basically got to go public with your design. So that means that if there's a product, it's going to be announced relatively soon. Um, but I I think that. Uh, you know, this is this this sensor is eight by eight inches, so this is not medium format. That's kind this of is, big. <laughs> this is large format. It's two hundred and two by two hundred and five millimeters. Um, you know, so we're we're looking at something that's up there bigger than a five by seven format camera. Yeah. Uh, I think it may well be. I, I'm I'm totally speculating, but it may well be that it's uh, a bigger deal in uh, medical imaging than it is in photography. I'd agree with that. Uh, Darlene, do you, you feel you have a need for an 8x8 sensor camera in your daily dealings? Currently, no. I mean, well, it's not going to no. fit in my purse. No, 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 no. Uh, well, here's the thing. I mean, in my history, I, I've shot 8x10 view cameras, 4x5s, Hasselblads. I mean, you know, I'm down to the smallest camera I've ever used. And I'm still thinking about going four thirds and and dumping my full on you know DSLR, for the reasons that everybody's already discussing, right? And if I was doing weddings and commercial shoots, which I'm not, I would stay with my my SLR. However, I'm not going to go any bigger. Um, I can't see wedding people switching to it. So it's definitely, like you said, a small piece of the market that's going to be using that type of camera. I have friends who do commercial photography, and they use they use medium format. They use phase one backs and all that stuff. Um, and I can see them. The reason that I can see them using that is because there are so many people doing um, stock and people going to buy stock instead of hiring a professional photographer to do like their annual report or something that they used to do. So they really have to set themselves apart somehow. So the medium format is going to help them do that because the quality is just going to blow everything out of the water, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of, of that. But not for me, no. And I can't see the, it's going to be such a small piece of the market. I remember years ago talking to my Kodak rep. Uh, you know, when there was such a thing and Kodak was still around in, in such a way, he said that, you know, the professional market was such a small piece of what Kodak does, right? I mean, in terms of film alone, but Doug is right. Like imaging is such a huger, broader spectrum than just cameras. Yeah. And Brian, Brian, last, last word on this. If you, if you look at these cameras and let's say they are real and they, they make it to the consumer or, or professional space, even 
could these potentially be used for, say, image harvesting? I used this technique before where you take, you take a photo of a scene and then you zoom in and take individual pieces of that and, oh harvest, and harvest it. <laughs> like, hey, I'm taking a picture of a forest. Now I have leaves. I have this tree. I have the people having a picnic. <laughs> I have a little bit of the lake. I got the sunset, you know. Like, Did you do that? Well, I mean, he's like, uh, I mean, well, that's ridiculous, but yeah. No, 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 no. But you, I think you're on the right track here. For me, what's will be more interesting is um, their cannons for their the sea line. Is it um, mm -hmm. where I would rather be able to take a uh, like a 4K video, for instance, if we're talking about like just you know meme format and and beyond, like a video, and be able to pull out a Sorry, my sister's calling. Um, Hi, sis. <laughs> um, the be able to, to distill a, 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 a like a high end frame from that. Um, <clears throat> and I am start. I think we're going to start seeing that be the trend. Um, having you know what I what I think we'll see is like a weird convergence of, of technologies from above and below, like Darlene, our five D line, where you're going to start seeing some of the stuff from uh, below like the Wi-Fi capabilities and maybe even the GPS capabilities um, and maybe even like the articulating screen capabilities come up. But I also think you're going to start to see um, things like a 4K chipset come down and people just getting into this motion of like, not motion, but like recording quick bursts of motion. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, f quickly panning through and finding this one frame that, that works for them. Um, the spray and pray. In a way, yeah, kind of, mm -hmm, except uh -huh. to like record, exactly. Um, but instead of having to deal, Frederick, with, for instance, 40 different files, you have one video file, yeah. and you just rub through it. And in a way, that could be an interesting thing for Adobe to kind of come back in and with, like, uh, Premiere or with Photoshop, which has video support, and, you know, add new functionality. You know, yeah. it's like... Love it. I mean, this is, this is such a cool time for photographers right now with all this totally. stuff coming. I mean, it's like you just get your brain around one thing and a whole new branch of, of stuff shows up. You got to love it. I mean, it's just an endless stream of things to talk about. So, guys, let's, let's move on. We're coming to the end of the show here. Um, I want to get the picks of the weekend really quickly here. So, um, And for the listeners, this is the segment where our guests and co-hosts can pick something to recommend to you guys, the listeners, as long as it is somehow related to photography. Brian, I'm going to let you go first because you have not been on the show in forever, and I'm sure you have some cool stuff to recommend. What do you got? <laughs> well, I guess it's related to photography insofar as the device is a, it t takes uh, photos. Um, but my uh, <clears throat> excuse me, my pick is something I actually just got yesterday. Hmm? Uh, so I, I, Frederick, you can relate with me. I'm a I just switched to the Moto X about the day before it was released. Um, we we got our units, and I've just been so enamored with it. Um, and so I got my Moto X right now. Just, just so. let me see. Oh yeah. Huh? Oh yeah. There you <laughs> go. Yeah. There's my little, my 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 baby. Um, and so there's a device that Motorola put out called the Skip, and it, this was such an um, afterthought or like um, it seems like it was just one of those things. Like, wait a second, they also released this, um, and 
it's a it's a kind of accessory to the Moto X that I think this is the kind of thing that if Motorola keeps going down that line, they will kind of differentiate themselves in such an amazing way. So the skip is this like little magnetic um, uh, clip, and it can go you know on. Uh, coincidentally, I left mine at home, so fail on me. <laughs> you but skipped it. I skipped it. Um, it it was a really kind of crazy day yesterday and today, but but. You kind of put it on here or on your bell clip, and what it is is um, it's an NFC device, so you can still have your phone with its like lock screen. So like there, I don't know if you can see the lock screen. Yep, I see it. So the way that Motorola is going is like trusted devices. So this skip becomes a trusted device. If that thing is on, you just touch your phone to the to the clip, and it goes it bypasses the lock. Um, oh my God! It's a it's a twenty dollar fingerprint. I was gonna they, say that. <laughs> Um, but if it's not, you know, you can always uh, deprovision it. If it's not in this vicinity, it won't work. Yeah. But it also comes with three stickers that are NFC stickers. So not only do you have the skip, but let's say you have a desk at work, a desk at home, and your laptop, for instance. You put the sticker on, you just put the phone to the sticker, and it bypasses. And for 20 bucks, like Doug said, I mean, it is a really slick little accessory. Where do you, where do you get that from? Is it Motorola only dot com, or can you get it on on Amazon? I didn't know. I I think it's right now only on Motorola's website. You just I just did a search, a Google search for Motorola Skip. It okay. brings you to it. It's for the Moto X right now. I don't know if it. I'm not sure if it works for the like the Droid flavors um, on Verizon, because um, this looks like very much something. It comes in different colors, so it can fit your um, your you know if you customize the Moto X. I love it. Cool. All right. So the Motorola Skip or the Mo yeah Motorola Skip for the Moto X. Perfect. Thanks for that pick. All right, Darlene. What is your pick of the week? So ironically enough, mine is a device for the iPhone. <laughs> and just for the record, just for the record, I put mine in the show notes first. <laughs> yes, so. you did. I put mine in like five minutes before the show started. Uh, well, I didn't even we know you were on the show. OS is here. So um, this is a device. I don't even have one yet. But I saw it on the weekend. A friend of mine had one. Um, I teach an available light class, and I have an incident light meter. So what this little thing does, it's called the Luxi, L-U-X-I. And I'll, I put in the show notes a link to their, they had a Kickstarter project to raise money to actually build this thing. They needed, um, they needed $10,000, and they raised 120000 it's 30 bucks, and what it does is it just slips over the top of your of your phone, and it becomes an incident light meter. And you have the free app that goes with it. And we we tested it. He calibrated it out, and it was within like a third of a stop of my actual um, Sekonic light meter. So I mean, it's not going to do flash. It's not going to do all this other fancy stuff for you. But if somebody wants to do, you know portraits or something and they want to measure a ratio or they just want to get a little bit further further into photography mm -hmm. or maybe they just want to figure out okay do I want to spend a few hundred bucks on a light meter get this little device and uh, turn your phone into a light meter all right that's a, that's a great pick but my question I'm putting on my devil's advocate hat yeah, are the light meter within these new modern cameras isn't that good enough do you really need an external light meter it's well, reflective yeah it's reflective versus oh, okay 
Right. So the <laughs> so explain that. Explain that for the people that are okay. So what? Okay. What so your light meter reflective? and your your light meter and your camera measures the light. So if I measure the light coming off of you, and this has nothing to do with you personally, but say it's mm -hmm. going to measure your shirt as black, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's going to say, okay, there's not very much light there. I need to make 18% gray, so I'm going to open up a lot, right? Mm -hmm. If I measure off Doug's shirt, which is lighter colored, he's he's brighter. To the camera, so it's going to give me a our, different you exposure. Use our hair as an example. Sure, hair, yeah. <laughs> so even if you're sitting side by side in the same room, my camera's going to give me a different reading off of each of you because of what you're wearing, right? Whereas yeah. an incident meter measures the light falling on you, not bouncing off of you. Got so it. you get a more Perfect. accurate reading. Perfect. Yeah. See, they actually explain that, well that on their on their little Kickstarter page. It's actually quite good. And you explained it in that workshop that you have as well, right? I explain all kinds of stuff. You bet. <laughs> Very cool. I'm trying to plug the workshop, darling. Oh, I, I give analogies like you wouldn't even believe. Very cool. I love it. Cool. All right, the Luxie light meter attachment for iPhones. It's thirty bucks or twenty nine ninety five um, to turn your iPhone into an incident light meter. Perfect. Mm -hmm. And they so Kickstarter campaign. They wanted ten grand. They raised one hundred twenty. So that one hundred ten thousand extra goes where? I don't know. <laughs> Well, they they got these all these you know gold sponsors or whatever. So, yeah. um, but they're actually making the things, and my friend had one on his thing, and it's it's a real, it's a it's a good. Uh, it's I think I'm gonna get one just to try it out, you know. Cool. I mean, thirty bucks. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks, Darlene. Appreciate that. And last, almost last, Doug K. What's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is a new ebook from my friend Michael Fry. Michael is one of the absolute best landscape photographers, uh, particularly in the Sierra Nevada and Northern California area. Uh, he has got an ebook out called Landscapes in Lightroom 5 The Essential Step by Step Guide. This is a terrific ebook because it's not just landscapes, uh, it goes through all sorts of stuff about Lightroom and Michael's way of using Lightroom is maybe a little different from other people's techniques. I find it extremely helpful. Uh, so if you're a Lightroom 5 user, even if you don't shoot uh, landscapes, I recommend this $15 ebook. Nice. And it's 15, so light, landscapes in Lightroom 5. I love it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, all these awesome ebooks are coming out. Doug, how, how often do you read a physical paper book these days? Are you all digital? I have not bought, uh, haven't purchased a physical book in a long time, um, because uh, it's either eBooks or more and more it's videos. I mean, I'm I'm yeah. buying, I'm spending a lot of money on videos these days, unfortunately, but I find them much more helpful. Yeah, well, I, I thanks Doug for that, and I I actually have two picks that I want to talk about. Um, the first pick uh, is something that came in the mail yesterday, and it has nothing to do with the fact that Brian's on the show, but <laughs> it is the Google Chromecast. I got two of these oh, in the mail yeah. yesterday. Finally, I ordered them too late, so they got announced and they got sold out, and I, I guess they finally came in stock at Amazon, and I, I ordered two, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, and it works as advertised. It's awesome. I can... Uh, I can play Netflix. And essentially, um, the way it works is you plug it in and the setup takes like literally three minutes and it's ready to go. Plugs into an, an open HDMI port. In my case, I have it plugged into my receiver so I can play the audio through my through my stereo system and all that. But uh, I can run Netflix on my phone and then cast it to my to the to the Chromecast. But what happens is instead of it saying like on my iPhone when I when I play something to my Apple TV, it's it's actually using the horsepower of the Apple TV 
or of the uh, of the phone to stream that media over. What's happening on the Chromecast is it's handing over. It's basically saying, "Hey Netflix, send this movie to that device because this this authorized user using this device asked for it." And it just works, and it works. And the cool thing is, there's other people in my house that are using um, different phones, iPhones, etc., and they can also cast directly from YouTube or Netflix, or if they're using a computer running Chrome with the extension installed, they can do it from a tab there as well. And these things are like 35 bucks. I got you know 35 bucks each, so it's just insane. So definitely check that out. The second thing that I wanted to recommend to the listeners is an app that I just downloaded not too long ago called, and I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, it's called Umano, U-M-A-N-O, and I believe it's for both uh, and the Android OS and iOS, and what it is is, Doug, you like me, we're busy, right? We're driving a lot, we're all around town a lot, and we listen to podcasts, etc., but there's a lot of stuff that's created, or articles, that are written were that we just don't have time to read. What this app slash service does is it crowdsources people with great reading voices and they read all these cool articles and you can go in and say and create a quick playlist. So you can say, I'm going to go into technology. Oh, a bunch of articles on iPhone 5S. I want to listen to those. Oh, look at this from TechCrunch. I'm going to listen to that. Oh, look at this one from NPR. You know, all these different things in there. You build a playlist, and you play them, and you're essentially reading with your ears, and it's free. So definitely, definitely check that out. So Interesting copyright discussion on that one. I don't know. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I have no idea what the copyright implications of that are. I was thinking about that today. I was thinking, well... D is all that stuff waived if they Der read it derivative works. words? I don't know. <laughs> derivative works. I don't know. But yeah, all definitely right. definitely check it out. You know, while I had here. one of my articles from that I write for Digital Photography School published in Russian last oh. week. And so I was getting all this traffic from this website. I look at my stats and I saw this. So so I mean I let I let Darren Rouse know and he said this kind of stuff happens all the time, right? But this one particular website apparently copies a lot of them, a lot of the articles, so he's mm. gonna put a kibosh on it. So yeah, I mean there's definitely copyright on words, right? Yeah. Well yeah, uh, yeah, of course. But I wonder if if someone so darling, a good good example. If if you wrote a great article on let's say light meters and you put it on your site, Umano got a hold of it and had someone narrate it and at the beginning of each article they give credit to where the article came from. If they did that, would you be upset that that other people are now listening to it or would you be happy? Hmm. You know, hmm. that's a tough call. That's a mm -hmm. tough call. Um I would have to defer that to my uh my lawyer. My techie <laughs> husband actually. He's my web guy. Um, he does all my web stuff, so he's the one that says yay or nay about. Because I mean, there's a whole thing about duplicate content on the internet, but if it's in an app, maybe that's not conflicting, right? So, yeah. I would say I'd have to consider it if it's going to be something that drives traffic back to my site, and it's not going to um, damage my rankings for you know in Google's eyes because I have duplicate content. Then I might consider it. Yeah, well, I'll definitely look into it because you may be umanu'd soon. If that's a word. <laughs> okay. I don't know. All right, guys. Um, the, the listeners, um, as we tra traditionally do at the end of our shows, we insert an interview, and this episode is no different. I did an interview with the CEO of a company called PhotoShelter, PhotoShelter.com. His name is Andrew Fingerman. We talked about. Essentially, the, the bulk of the conversation was about, is being a professional photographer in 2013, 2014 still viable? 
In other words, can you still make money at this and pay your mortgage, rent, feed your kids, etc.? Great conversation. He revealed lots of resources, and he was he was extremely transparent about how he positions photo shelter versus the other folks in that crowded space, i.e., smug mugs and folio, etc. So definitely, definitely give that a listen. Okay, folks, we're at the end of another, uh, the end of another episode of this week in photo. Let's start with you, Darlene. Where would you like the listeners to go to keep up with what you're up to? They can catch me on Google Plus, of course, or they can um, visit my website, herviewphotography.com. Uh, yes, I do live mostly on Google Plus and less on the other social networks. So, awesome. Brian's very happy. <laughs> Perfect, Brian Smiley. All right, thanks, Darlene. Thanks for coming on again. Appreciate it. And Mr. Doug K, where are you at online? Uh, you can start at DougK.com, which is my portfolio, and at the bottom there are links to everything else, but I spend most of my time on Google+. Look for the Doug K with the green background, not the Doug K with the red background. That's my evil twin. The conflicted Doug K with hundreds of thousands of friends on Facebook, and he's forsaking them all because he likes Google Plus better. That is amazing. You can, you can look for me on Facebook, but it's not a lot of fun. <laughs> he's he's not, <laughs> not giving much love over there. Cool. All right, last but not least is Brian Matias. What is? Where would you like people to go? Let me guess. Google Plus? <laughs> yeah, you just google.com slash plus Brian Matias. Nice, nice. Very cool. If you can well, thank, spell it, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, think I, have a, I don't think I have an alias. <laughs> the Brian. The Brian. <laughs> Brian one. Isn't it Brian one? Brian two? Is it? I don't know. No, there is someone here who who like their email is Brian at Google. And I was like, ah. The Brian. The Brian. Wait, do you outrank him, Brian? Just take it. Oh yeah, yeah close. <laughs> I did have Brian at onwinsoftware.com. Um, there you go. I was happy about. Hey, whatever it takes, whatever right. it takes, guys. This was a this was a fantastic show. Thank you all for taking the time this evening to come on. And listeners, thanks for the folks that watched us do this live and kid around. And also thanks for the folks that are listening to this. And of course, our sponsor. And listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. And remember to join our community of course, on Google+. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. All right, um, special treat for you guys. I'm sitting here with the CEO of a company called Photo Shelter. You may have heard of them, Andrew Fingerman. He and I are going to discuss a bunch of topics. We're going to dive into the company itself and the inception of it, how it's going, all that stuff, and how he's positioning the company in the sort of ecosystem of other photo sharing companies out there. And then we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to, I know a lot of the This Week in Photo listeners' hearts, and that's money, you know, and is the profession of photography still viable in 2013 and beyond? So, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you, Frederick. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So let's let's jump right in. So you you run the company. You run the show over at Photo Shelter. Where are you guys? You're in New York City? Yep, we're, we're based in New York City in Union Square. 
We have a great office overlooking the Green Market in Union Square. So Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we've got fresh veggies and all kinds of local produce outside. Wow, that's cool. That's a choice spot. Very different from California. Right? <laughs> well, I'm sure you get your, your live and local as well. As oh, much yeah. As I got there. <laughs> so what is, so day in the life of a, of a CEO? Well, first of all, let's, let's, how did you become CEO of Photo Shelter? What was your sort of path of ascension there? Sure. Um, you know, to, to tell that story, I'll, I'll start with the, the company's history it, itself. Um, Photo Shelter was founded in 2007, uh, sorry, 2005, mm-hmm. by a, um, a, 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 a team of um, engineers. Um, so they were actually the engineers that used to, uh, they were the people that were first started the company hotjobs.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you may remember them from the original dot-com. I remember hotjobs, yeah. Job site. And, uh, and their friends who were a group of professional photographers. And, uh, and the, the fun thing about the company's history was that they came up with this online archive that was essentially you know, a way to back up your photos in a, on a database online and have access to them no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, this was essentially the cloud before anybody was calling the cloud the cloud. Before so, it got like, the label. Right? Yeah, before the cloud was cool. Yeah. Um, so so it, initially, Photo Shelter started strictly as an online archive for your photos. Mm-hmm. Um, you upload your photos to Photo Shelter. They become accessible to you and your clients, no matter where you are in the field, uh, no matter when that your clients need them. Um, so everything that from the get-go was was built in using technology to make photographers' lives easier. Sure. Um, so they they you know they upload with the metadata, so everything is searchable and uh, and has you know the ability to be organized online. Um, and, but then over time, we built more and more tools on top of Photo Shelter in response to the pro photographer community's needs. Um, so the display capabilities evolved from just a Photo Shelter page to a customizable website. Um, the, uh, we added in sales capabilities so you can either license stock photography or sell prints and products in an automated fashion. Yeah. Uh, we built a host of marketing tools in. Uh, but the, the secret sauce has always been the delivery tools inside of Photo Shelter. So um, anytime you need to get an image from point A to point B, having it on Photo Shelter makes a ton of sense because you can do stuff like you know, send your client a password-protected gallery download link where they can download the high-res image. Uh, you can FTP from inside of Photo Shelter. Uh, we have something called a, a quick send, which is like a one-time use download link um, oh, so that the link expires after a exactly, certain amount of time exactly so you can be certain that it's not going to get passed on within an organization and used multiple That's times cool. yeah. um, we have something called trusted client downloads where clients that you're working with on a regular basis can um, can access your archive and and pull images out essentially making their lives easier yeah. And, you know, that's the type of situation where you'd be invoicing them, you know, on, on a very regular trusted, trusted basis. So from um, what you're saying, what I'm hearing in the, the sort of direction I'm hearing the, this features or the features in Photo Shelter, it sounds like it's definitely targeted at the pro making money photographer that has clients. Right. Um, absolutely. It, or and, and or folks it, that have clients. I would what say. about is it is it is there a uh, tendency to lean towards wedding photographers or is it commercial or it, it's actually, um, so we serve currently we have 80,000 photographers using photo shelter. Okay. Um, I would say that over 90% of them identify themselves. These are either as a pro, uh, you know, a part-time pro, a full-time pro or an aspiring 
professional. Okay. Um, so you, um, so it definitely has a pro bent, but we're, we're pretty specialty agnostic. So, um, so we have, uh, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of photojournalists um, who are in the field using PhotoShelter in a certain way mm-hmm. for their um, you know, upload and delivery to clients. We have stock photographers who are using the online searchable archive and automated, down, automated licensing capabilities to license their work independently of agencies. Yeah. Uh, we have nature photographers, na- nature photographers who just like to you know, display their work and sell fine art prints. Uh, we have wedding photographers who use it as a proofing tool with their clients and sell them, sell prints to uh, grandma and grandpa. Yeah, no, uh, so, really. so it's that, really specialty, specialty agnostic. So it's a, it's it's the it's the engine that powers a photographer without any specific guidance on what kind of photography you guys are are supporting. Exactly. Um, we like to think of photo shelter as a tool for helping you get business, do business and keep business. Yeah. Um, the keep business part is interesting and we probably delve into it later cause I promised I'd tell you about the history. Yes, yes. Um, but the, the keep business part is like, how do you use technology to make your clients happy? Um, yeah. how, do, so, how do you surprise and delight customers? Right? Exactly. So yeah, exactly. so yeah, get back to the history. Uh, so the history. So, so we, we had a team of tech guys and a team of professional photographers who came together and the evolution of the company was such that they just kept making the product better and better for their friends, really. Yeah. And, um, and that responsiveness helped us grow. Um, I would say, you know, for the first several years of the company's existence, word of mouth was the number one uh, source that people would cite as, as you know, how they found out about photo shelter and how, how they came to know photo shelter would be something for, for them. Yeah. Um, I, I joined the company in January of 2008 as the head of marketing. And so if you think about it, this is a lot, a lot of tech companies have this trajectory where initially the product sells itself right? You know, and you have, you know, it's a very engineering driven, uh, culture yeah. and they were you know, getting to a point in the company's development where they said, okay, now we need marketing to continue driving the growth of this company. Yeah. So, um, so my job was to bring a more formal, uh, almost marketing maturity to the company, um, and that's that's really on, on a couple different angles. One is how, you know, how do we get new customers, but also it's how do we engage the existing customer base to make sure that people are taking advantage of all the different tools that we're adding into the product, and uh, you know staying highly highly engaged. Yeah. Um, so I actually ran marketing for um, for five years, and last April, I. Um, I came on board as CEO. Uh, Alan Murabayashi, who was the CEO and founder, co-founder of the company, um, he stepped into the chairman role. Uh, we still have Alan very, very involved. He's uh, we're, we're sending him. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's not going to complain about it. We're all over the world, nice. uh, he's he's meeting with our customers in various cities. Uh, we just had a bunch of happy hours in Asia oh. that he that he ran, and uh, he does a lot of speaking for us. And we we meet very regularly for strategy. But I. I'm now responsible for the day-to-day management and growth of the company. That's cool. So speaking of that, the day-to-day management piece of it, uh, I'm going to segue this into just sort of the landscape of the image sharing or photo sharing services out there, right? Sure. So, I mean, it's, it's a crowded landscape from a photographer's standpoint, uh, which makes it hard to choose. So people don't know, should I be, I'm a wedding photographer, should I just pick pictage? Uh, or should I go with SmugMug or should I use Zinfolio or should I just build a WordPress site, do it myself, or now I can do something on 500 pics? There's all these places where photographers can, you can share your images, but 
from my standpoint, photographers should pick a horse and ride it. You know, you're not going to yeah. be on all these different places. So how, as the CEO, how do you position Photo Shelter in that in that group of competitors? And of the ones I mentioned, maybe they're not all competitors. You know, in your yeah. in your eyes. And I'll, I'll be I'll be totally candid because I, I think that um, there's elements of our service that overlap really you know significantly with a a smug mugger's and folio mm -hmm. and there's elements of our service that we significantly differentiate ourselves from a smug mug and a zenfolio yeah. of those that you mentioned likewise uh, i think you know if if you just look if you go to photoshelter.com and you look at our website and you say uh, okay what are these guys selling what am i going to get here uh, you know, the first thing that hits you is I can get a portfolio website, mm -hmm. right? And uh, any photographer that's looking to display their work online will tell you, I can get a portfolio website anywhere these days, yeah. right? So, uh, you know, I can build something for free. I can do something through WordPress. Uh, I can get one. I can, I can spend $4,000 through a high-end website company or a custom development company. Um, but so, so what do I get that's different Via, via photo shelter. And likewise, if I'm just somebody that wants to share my photos uh, with, with my, either my fans or my audience or my clients, what do I get that's different from photo shelter? Yeah. Um, so from day one, photo shelter has differentiated itself as a professional's solution. Um, and, you know, like I described in, in the early days when they built in the features and functionality that were, you know, designed for their friends, mm -hmm. Uh, they really went overboard in making sure that it was a tool that you could fit into your unique workflow. Yeah. And, you know, if there's anything I've learned in the, you know, almost seven years I've been with this, seven, six years I've been with this company now, mm -hmm. is you don't go to a photographer and tell them they need to change your their workflow. Right. right. Yeah. Don't, don't mess with the workflow. Yeah. Right. When, you, when you say your photo shelter is designed specifically for the photographer or the the professional photographer. What does that mean? Like, how do you differentiate yeah, a professional um, photographer from the dentist who shoots on the weekend is not a professional photographer, but is a highly competent shooter and has the same kind of needs as the pro? Is there a line between those? Yeah. Um, so, so I think, I think those, those lines are certainly bl blurring and I have a feeling we'll, we'll talk about, about that. Yeah. But, um, but for a, a professional photographer, um, if we want to be the professional photographer's online image archive, um, here's, here's what we need to do. We need to accept a variety of different file formats, not just JPEG. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of, a lot of the other services out there strictly enable you to upload JPEG. Um, so we, you know, while they might tell you, you can have unlimited storage, uh, the file sizes are limited and the file formats are limited. Uh -huh. Photo shelter, you can upload, uh, everything from raw to TIFF to JPEG, uh, to PSDs, um, so that was so that's, actually on my list to ask you, by right. the way. So, so that's one big advantage. If we're calling this an archive for your photos, um, you, it has to be your archive. You have to be able to in, upload the original quality photo, make sure that that can be accessible to you and your, and your clients. Yeah. So, so I can take my, I, I can take, just, just so I can paint a use case picture, I have a library of, say, a terabyte yep. of raw photos from the last year or so. I can sign, sign up for Photo Shelter and I can put all of those raw exactly. files. Our, our pro account actually comes with a terabyte of, of storage and you, and you can do all, all raw if you'd like. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. So, so then, you know, it goes from the, you know, the, the capability to, 
the, um, the sort of robustness of, of the tool itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so an, another, another good example is the depth of what we let you sell or enable you to sell. So, um, so with PhotoShelter, you can, uh, you can get set up to sell prints and products. We have, uh, we have four automated print vendors that are integrated with PhotoShelter, um, but we also have a print vendor network of over 200 printers throughout the world who you can simply send files to through PhotoShelter. And um, so the integrated print vendors have all the pricing built into PhotoShelter, all the deliveries built into PhotoShelter. Um, the print vendor network, which is the additional 200, uh, is simply like a, you send the file with all the specs, and you work out the shipping and delivery on, on the side. Um, but, it's, but it's designed to make your life easier as a, as a professional. Um, we let you sell stock photography through PhotoShelter, um, and we're the only provider out there that has a built-in rights-managed pricing calculator. So you can sell rights-managed photos, uh, much like you would find at a, at a Getty Images. Um, and you know, your customer would go and price out the usage, and then it spits out a price, and they could pay with their credit card. Uh, but you could also, if you're more into royalty free, you can you can adjust your sales to sell royalty free as as well. Yeah. Um, so it's really sort of the depth and breadth of um, of your sales options and how we let you we give you the flexibility to customize it around your own your own way. Um, the other thing with with Photo Shelter is. You can actually set it up to, um, you are the merchant of sale. So there's a lot of services out there where you're sitting around waiting for a check. Mm -hmm. You have to hit a certain threshold of sales before they'll cut you a check. Um, This, the sale actually happens between you and your client. So you can integrate a PayPal account or um, Stripe, which is a... um, a PayPal alternative, which we're very, very fond of. Yeah, I'm fond uh, of Stripe as well. Stripe is, Stripe Stripe is, is really great, cool. and it integrates really sweetly with, with the Photo Shelter websites. Um, you can set up a merchant account directly um, via authorized.net. So again, it's like that level of options that lets you customize Photo Shelter around your own professional workflow. Yeah. And, um, I, I could go on and on. Um, that's, that's great. Yeah. So, so, so as you, so the, so we drew those lines between the the amateur and the pro, and those guys, and how that how those worlds differ. One one question I wanted to throw in there is just the, you know, we've got we've got services out there. You know, I mentioned the the other photo sharing services, but in addition to those, there's folks like Dropbox, you know, yep. where people can upload their photos to Dropbox and then copy that link and I can share those with a, with a small group of people or a large group of people. Do you see the, the Dropbox people as a, as a competitor or is that a completely different business? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I actually do see uh, competition from Dropbox. Mm-hmm. I, I think, um, you know, for a photographer to be using Dropbox, they're saying, uh, here, here's, here's an easy way for me to get my photos from me to you. Yes. Right. And so that's what I'm telling you, you should be using photo shelter for. Um, the reason I think photo shelter is a better option than a Dropbox is because it's happening in your professional branded environment when you're sending photos via photo shelter to a client. So if I send you a link to my Dropbox account, um, you're basically downloading from Dropbox, right? right. It's, it's a generic Dropbox experience. Um, if I send you a link to download photos from your photo shelter account, uh, it's essentially all happening within this branded journey that you want to create for your clients, right? So your logo is right there at the top of the page. Right. Uh, the rest of your portfolio is there so they can peruse your portfolio and continue the journey. And, oh, you know, I didn't realize that you had a personal project in the Maldives. 
I'm going to check that out because we need a travel photographer for this other project we're doing. So the yeah, discovery. Stuff like that. Yeah. 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 So, now, with with that, do are you allowing the use of subdomains? So could I set up, say, you know, images.frederickvan.com and have that go to my photo shelter account? Yes, actually, you, you can. Okay. Um, so you can, uh, it, what you're saying is, uh, can, can I mask the URL so Correct. it doesn't seem like, there are certain, there are certain stops along the photo shelter journey that actually need to, it, the secure stuff still needs to read photo shelter, mm -hmm. but, uh, but if you're sending out the URL, you can, you can use you know, archive.frederickvanjohnson.com or, or whatever, whatever you choose. Perfect. Perfect. That's, that's really cool. See all this stuff I didn't know. This is educational oh. and powerful. So, okay, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about display or the front sure. end. So yeah. we've seen this trend or when I say we, I mean me, I've seen these tr <laughs> this trend of the mosaic looking, you know, tiled, infinitely scrolling portfolios that look gorgeous. We've seen it from 500 picks, um, Flickr, uh, Smug Mug's doing it now. Um, you know, that is kind of, it seems like that's the vogue in how photographer online portfolios are looking. And I'm looking at you guys at your site, I know you launched a new thing uh, called Beam not too, not too long ago. Um, yep. you, can you talk about that a little bit and yeah, how it sure. fits in? Yeah, thanks. Um, Beam, Beam, we're really proud of Beam. It's, um, it's our brand new portfolio site platform. Um, so what, what we were finding was, um, so photo shelter has offered, uh, customizable websites since 2008. Um, so we built this, the customizable website platform in 2008 and there were, you know, things that we wanted it to do now, or actually as of a year ago that we saw the, you know, the design sort of zeitgeist was moving in a certain direction. Right. Uh, mobile was obviously a very significant need. Uh, the avi ability to integrate and display videos uh, inside of your portfolio website alongside of your photographs uh, was also a really important need. And also the interconnect, the connectivity of other services. So um, can I display my Instagrams and my Tumblrs inside of my branded photographer, you know, my, my branded photography portfolio? Um, so we set about building um, an API essentially. So that's an application programming interface. So think of old photo shelter, uh, which is a very strong, very robust database for your, for, for your images. Um, and then this layer, which is our API and then beam, which is the new layer on top of photo shelter. Mm -hmm. So, so beam is built in all the latest coding technology, uh, highly mobile compatible, mm -hmm. um, very flexible, and um, what they call extensible. So it, it enables us the, really the flexibility to innovate on top of Photo Shelter much faster and with more flexibility than we've ever had before. So Beam is really the first thing we're doing on top of this platform. Cool. Um, so the, the portfolios, we started this just two months ago, actually. Uh, we have four portfolio templates. Uh, and just about a week and a half from now, we're going to be launching our fifth template. Um, and it's very different and very exciting looking. Uh, it's really to flex the muscles to show people exactly how, uh, exactly the, the extent of the capabilities and the breadth that Beam gives us to offer a unique photography portfolio website. Very cool. So we're um, going to have, so depending on when this goes live, around what date and year will that be? Um, so, so the, so it'll, it'll be this year, September of this year, you'll okay, see September it's actually a, a storytelling based template. Um, so anybody that has a story to tell, you know, whether it be from start to finish, finish or ongoing fashion can set up these really cool 
galleries with, uh, with text around the images as desired. Uh, and it's, the images are big and beautiful. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's almost upsetting that I'm even talking about it right now because I should be showing it to you. I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, um, you know, we'll, we'll be able to share some, uh, some graphics of the Beam sites. Um, the, the intention of the Beam design was to comply with this new modern feel of big and beautiful and highly responsive sites. Yeah. So, um, so the image itself scales down to the mobile device and up to the 24-inch the monitor um, that that you know, hopefully your your buyers and clients are using, yeah. um, and and it's very elegant. The sites are very elegant. Um, you can pull in your Instagram feed. You can pull in your Vimeo feed. Oh, wow. um, you can pull in your Tumblr or WordPress blog, and uh, and the cool part is you can actually add any additional amount of content through our custom web pages as well. So you're not just limited to displaying your photo galleries, but you can add additional pages with our HTML editor, uh, really as, as, as deep as you want to go with it. So you can add tear sheets and rate cards and um, you know, whatever your custom needs are to support your photography business. What's your, what's your ideal, what does the ideal photo shelter customer look like? And in, in, in that, let me frame that correctly. How is the ideal customer using the site? Are they using photo shelter as their primary web presence and aggregating their other social presences into photo shelter? Or are they using photo shelter as a, this is my portfolio over here and here's my WordPress over here. And you know, yeah, um, we're, we, th we think that it's uh, that the, uh, the ideal customer will use photo shelter as a portfolio. will integrate their blog. We don't offer a blog service, mm -hmm. but you can, you, so, so that's why we think, you know, weaving in your WordPress blog or your Tumblr blog makes, yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um, but you're not just using Photo Shelter for display purposes. If, that, if that's the case, you're probably only using, you know, one-eighth of the capability of the system. Yeah. So, um, so we want somebody that's going to be using Photo Shelter to share, uh, share and, you know, help clients or, or their fans view and, and, you know, attract new clients to the their website, but we think that um, you really benefit by using the you know the online archive to make sure your images are backed up and accessible online. Yeah. Uh, using our delivery tools to send photos to you know send photos and make them accessible to your clients. Using our marketing tools to attract new business. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, we've worked really hard on the search engine optimization of photo shelter websites, um, as well as the social integration to make sure that things are marketable. Um, there's an address book inside of photo shelter so you can send out image galleries to your clients and uh, it's really a very powerful tool so uh, the more you know the more you use the different facets of photo shelter to either grow a business or you know maintain business relationships and you know differentiate yourself as rock solid reliable to your clients uh, that's when you're going to be able to justify continuing to use photo shelter. So, you know, if you're having success with it, you know, we, we think you're going to be with us for a really, really long time. Well, let, let's talk about that business piece of it. Uh, and that's, you know, I want to, I want to close on that, that side of it. The, there seems to be the sentiment that the photographer is an endangered species, you know, right. or rather the professional photographer, the, uh, the amateur and advanced amateur photographer is an expanding, you know, growing group of people. But it seems like the professional photographer seems to be, that title seems to be 
you know, more and more endangered. We see it with newspapers like, you know, in Chicago, we saw them lay off their photography staff to replace them with reporters carrying iPhones. We've yeah. seen it all over the place, you know. So and with these cameras, even the iPhone that was just released has a better has a insanely cool camera in it, I think. I haven't played with it yet, but from the specs it looks pretty cool that you're going to yeah. have in your back pocket all the time. What does this mean and is it still viable to consider ph- photography or being a professional photographer as a career choice? Yeah. Um, so the first thing I would say is, you know, I think, you know, over the last several years there's been lots of, you know, the the, do- the doom and gloom and the talk of the decline of professional photography and yeah, and with good reason. You know, you cited the, the newspapers, uh, you know, the stock agency business model being up upended. Yeah. Um, you know, the availability of outstanding cameras um, you know, put in the hands of, of you know, okay business people, right. um, creates competition for photographers. I think you know, especially independent photographers that I know are, you know, constantly worried that you know somebody else is waiting outside their client's door, who can you know deliver the product, you know, equally as good as them, or you know, or you know, quicker or faster. Etc. And uh, so I think, yeah. yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to downplay the notion that, um, that the industry has shifted significantly. Uh, we've gone through a period of decline and, um, and it's been very upsetting to watch for the, for the, you know, outstanding professional photographers who have, who have lost business mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think, you know, the endangered species, there, there is no extinction fear. Um, the professional photographer, uh, as a, as a career will remain very viable for a certain kind of professional photographer. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, you, you can take, uh, the best possible camera you can think of, put it in the hands of a really good hobbyist or amateur who can make outstanding images, but that still doesn't make them a professional photographer. Right. Um, and there's things that professionals need to continue doing to differentiate themselves in the eyes of, of the client. And so, what, what are some uh, of those things before we leave that? What are some of those yeah, things that so, we can do? So, um, being good at estimating jobs, uh, being available and accessible, um, the delivery, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing to say, I can take a great picture, but the other thing is, is like my client, uh, is waiting on me to deliver this as promised in a highly professional manner so that it meets their needs. Yeah. Um, and that sounds like basic business, right? Like, you know what the customer wants and you, you know, do add your value and you deliver it to them. Yeah. But, uh, but I would tell you that in photography or any other business that that's a huge differentiator between an amateur and a professional. Totally agree. The ability yeah. to be, I said it earlier, rock solid, reliable for your clients. Uh, that's how you have the clients keep on coming back for more, not you know looking beyond you as 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 their favorite photographer. Um, I, I actually I brought some stats with me because um, oh, cool. yeah. I, I I don't like to just kind of make these blanket statements and and say data you know, we love data like, you, <laughs> photographers have nothing to worry about but um, every year we do we do um, I'm sure you've noticed we do a lot of research at Photo Shelter yeah. um, if you go to photoshelter.com there's a free guides link at the top of our website we have about 35 uh, free downloadable instructional guides for photography, uh, for professional photographers on all kinds of business topics. Cool. Um, whether that's growing a business or, 
you know, learning search engine optimization for photographers mm -hmm. or pricing and negotiating. Um, but every year we do a buyer survey and we go to uh, advertising and editorial buyers. We go to publishing companies um, and we, we actually partner with Agency Access. I, I think you're probably familiar with them. Yeah. They have this huge database of um, anyone who's buying photography in a, in a professional um, you know, professional manner. And, uh, we field the survey to them. We do it every year. Uh, the 2013 survey is not yet available, but, um, but one of the things that we, uh, one of the things that we learned from the survey, I'm just looking down at my data here is, um, 60% of the buyers we surveyed said that they try to hire new photographers, uh, which is cool. So I think that actually speaks to, um, you know, not doom and gloom, but rather hope for up and coming photographers who are looking to to get hired. You're looking now, for fresh, right? Fresh yeah. and new. Yeah. Yeah. Now, breaking in isn't easy at all. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and that that'll always be a challenge. But that's that's always the case in, in that's any everything. industry. Yeah, it's everything. You know, so so you have to figure out you know, how you're going to market or how you're going to get a, an entry point into an organization to sell them your your work. Yeah. Um, but. Um, and, and I think, you know, the phenomenon will always remain that buyers, whether that be editorial, you know, photo editors, um, commercial buyers, uh, publishers, they like to work with the photographers they like to work with, right? Because it, it mitigates the risk for them. Uh, if I know that you've delivered professionally for me in the past, there's a much better chance that you're going to deliver professionally for me again in the future. Right. Uh, so I'm likely to use you rather than some, some fresh face that... Yeah. That yeah, I have. What you were saying before about the professionals delivering or, you know, just sort of having that attention to detail, sort of, I was having a conversation with someone a while back about that very thing. And the analogy that they drew was the hamburger, right? You could be the advanced amateur that knows how to take the photo and that kind of represents the patty, the hamburger, the meat in the hamburger, right. you know, assuming that you're not a vegetarian or anything. But that yeah. represents, that represents you can look at my Instagram feed. You'll see, <laughs> it's you'll food see the, out there. The, 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 the photography week. itself and being competent at the photography represents the hamburger patty. But the professional makes the hamburger. Everything from the, the top bun all the way down to the bottom bun. And that's the okay. first touch point with the customer. The hand, you know, the meetings with the customer. Everything is branded and professional all the way through to the end bun or the bottom bun, which is the final delivery of the product, which has that fit and finish and white glove treatment exactly. every all that together equals the professional experience whereas if, if you're an amateur and you're not you know you're, you're not interested in brand building or that sort of thing you may be just good at one or two of those things exactly yeah. that's you know to loop the conversation back around and i'd be a lousy marketer if i didn't but that's why we encourage people to use photo shelter to deliver the end end product of a shoot to their clients because it's in that branded professional environment rather than you know a you know just dropping off a drive that is totally generic right. and you don't know what's going to happen to the drive um, or you know a dropbox that's totally generic and anybody can use dropbox but yeah. uh, but the professional the photo shelter website where you have the a, a distinct gallery set up for the client it's happening in your branded environment um, and you the photographer have statistics on how they what they're downloading um, you know, and, and, and you can follow up with them to know exactly what's been downloaded and, and you know, how it's going to be used. Mm -hmm. So, um, the, the other thing I would say then is, so, so, you know, if there's this distinction between professionals and amateurs, then 
what what is the niche of professionals that's going to uh, that's going to sustain themselves? Yeah. And those are the ones that are uh, truly embracing the shifts in technology to either differentiate their themselves on a skill basis or on a client service basis, um, and, or on a, a marketing basis too. You know, and and that we could probably spend another hour talking about you know how, how to totally. how to embrace yeah. marketing. But um, I'll say I'll say this you know. The the everyone is a photographer comment now you know centers a lot around Instagram and these filters, and um, and I know plenty of professional photographers who have embraced Instagram to build audience, and that's led 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 them to uh, additional jobs. So, but it's um, a tool. It's, Instagram, like anything else, is a tool, and I a, a trap that a lot of people get stuck in is when when you know I forget who said it, uh, but there was this quote when the only thing that you have is a hammer. Everything looks like a nail, right? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. You know, you know, so get Instagram is a tool, you know, and as long as you understand what's going on on Instagram and you're cognizant of their terms of service and all that, yeah. then yeah. it's fine to use, but it's not the end all be all. Right. Yeah. And, and you figure out a way to fashion it to your own, you know, your own business in terms of how you're going to build audience. Mm -hmm. um, the example that I love to use is our, our friend, Brad Manjin, who is a, uh, he's a, he's a freelance sports photographer based in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, he shoots baseball, uh, often for major league baseball and for sports illustrated, uh, has developed a massive following on Instagram because of the access that he gets. Thanks to his, his, you know, I, I guess I'd call it regular job. Sure. His Instagrams have gotten so popular that they've actually been published in Sports Illustrated and he got a book deal. So he has this great baseball Instagram book that's now on the market. You can find it on Amazon. Um, and then there's plenty of photographers that we know now that are getting hired to Instagram for major publications. Like Landon Nordman is a, a New York-based photographer here who uh, who does a lot of Instagramming for the New Yorker. Um, you know, ben Lowy is is a is an editorial photographer who who does a lot of Instagramming, um, and and has gotten gigs based on his audience on Instagram. So yeah, that's so I think you know rather than saying you know all oh, doom and gloom, doom and gloom, it's a, like what are the changes that are taking place in the industry, and how can I use these changes to my advantage to build audience and, and sustain my career. Yeah. That's, not, that would be my suggestion. It's not, it's not a demolition of the, of the industry. It's more of an evolution of, of yeah. the skill sets and the, and the, the delivery mechanisms and vehicles that photographers can use today are evolving, you know, right. and, you know, in some ways it's, it's just like anything else. Some, as things change and evolve, things fall away and other things show up you know, on one side. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the key, so, the trick, the trick to staying relevant is staying relevant and staying on top of what things are, are evolving into, not sticking your head in the sand, not being Luddite. You got to be out there. You got to be watching what things are, how things are evolving and how people, your clients and consumers want to consume things. Right. So yeah, yeah it's crazy. So, so let's talk about pricing just before we close this off. Um, what are the different pricing levels of photo shelter? Yeah, sure. Um, so we start with a, uh, we, we actually have four, four different account levels. Uh, we have a basic account. The, um, the basic account gets you 10 gigs of storage for your photos online, uh, one website template, and then access to all the photo shelters, uh, marketing tools, image delivery tools, um, etc. Et gotcha. Then we have a, a standard account. Standard account is our most popular account. Um, and that's uh, $29.99 a month or uh, three, 329 a year. Okay. And, um, 
And that gets you access to uh, 10 different of our classic website templates and all of our Beam portfolio website templates, so the new, the new platform. Um, you get 60 gigs of storage um, and all of our marketing, marketing and sales tools. Um, then we have a pro account, which is $49 a month, um, $549 a year. Yeah. And that actually, that's, that's our highest individual photographer account. And with that, you get a terabyte of storage access to all of our web classic and new beam templates. Uh, when you sell through photo shelter, um, the basic account sales fee is 10% um, of, of the sale. Mm -hmm. The um, standard account is 9% and the pro account is 8%. Excellent. Um, we also have a multi-user account. And so the difference there is um, it, it's intended for organizations. So um, photo departments, uh, universities use a lot our multi-user account. We have a lot of sports teams using our multi-user account, mm -hmm. corporations, um, even small agencies. And that's designed to manage the work of multiple photographers and have multiple editors accessing the account, multiple clients accessing the account. And so it's, it's a more robust version of the individual photographer account. Yeah. And that's uh, 3,300 a year. Cool. And every, all this stuff is at photoshelter.com, obviously. Any other places where you'd like the, the listeners to go check out? Um, so uh, photoshelter.com is, is key. Mm -hmm. um, you can also find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash photoshelter. Um, we're on Twitter. We have a very active Twitter and Google Plus community. Um, we do, like I mentioned, we do a ton of content. Um, if you never, ever come to Photo Shelter and never, ever sign up for our service, um, but if you're an aspiring or, or you know, professional photographer for years, I would suggest you check out our educational content. Um, we do webinars every month. Um, some are based on our own product, and we always have guest webinars um, every month, too. So you'll, you'll find that on our website. Um, if you go to photoshelter.com slash free guides, you'll find all of our downloadable guides. And they're not these crappy, you know, 10-pagers. We, we actually research very heavily and release a new one every month. They're 30 to 50 pages of really, really good content. We interview very successful photographers who are, you know, experienced in whatever the topic is that we're talking about. And it's worth, it's worth checking that stuff out. It's sort of, um, we like to think of you know, the tools will get you so far, but if we can provide content around those tools, then we meet our goal of photo shelter being the place where uh, we make your photos more useful and valuable. Wonderful. Andrew, thank you for, uh, for taking the time out on this. What is it? Friday to, uh, to chat with me. I'm sure you, you got things to do, but you're sitting here chatting with us on this week in photo, explaining all this cool stuff to us. So I appreciate that. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's really good to catch up, Frederick. All right. Well, cool. Well, you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Okay. Take care. You too.